0: This is a presentation of the Pitch Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Streetwise Podcast. This is your host Brock Wilbur. I'm the editor in chief of the Pitch, and this podcast is an extension of the Pitch. You are listening to this because it is a pitch, 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 pitch. I like talking until, like, words stop having meaning. It's a good, fun time for me. Um, Speaking of people talking until things uh, lose all meaning, I am recording this right now as a break from a copy of Marry Me uh, that was sent to us. It is the new film uh, that comes out this weekend uh, starring J-Lo and Owen Wilson, and the premise of it is that J-Lo is a world-famous musician. Already, that's that's pretty good. Got that handled. Hard to mess that one up. Uh, who is supposed to get married to her music producer boyfriend on stage because her hit single is called Marry Me, and so she is going to have him marry me. And as she walks onto stage, she finds out he's been cheating with her assistant, and so instead she picks a random person from the audience... Owen Wilson and marries him instead. Uh, it is just a horrifically stupid premise. Uh, it is, but it is excellent at being the exact sort of stupid, wonderful rom-com that we would have gotten from those exact two same people 20, 20, years ago, two decades ago, because like this fits right in with like made in Manhattan and two weeks notice and someone like you, which are all movies that I Adore so. Like I, as much as I hate what I am watching right now, I feel like I am being transported back to 2002, and for that, I will not be writing it up on the website because I want to thank it. I, I, I it's, it's like uh, when Marie Kondo tells you to throw out something that once meant a lot to you but now serves no purpose. You can, you can thank it. You can thank it for what it gave to you, and I am preemptively thanking. A movie that is not out to the public yet for what it has offered me in terms of a portal back to a time when I really enjoyed rom-coms that now have all aged just horribly. Just horribly. Don't don't go revisit them. Um, anyway, we've got a great episode of the podcast today. Uh, later on, we have an interview with Laura Lawson of uh, the NPR's uh, All Things Considered. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy that talk. Um, Before that, uh, we will have Nick's Music Corner. Um, But right now, uh, we're doing... uh, Jason from Stolen Dress Entertainment is going to do a reading of the story Taking Flight, uh, which just ran in our newest issue of The Pitch out on stands now. Jason, take it away.
1: Taking Flight. Raven Bookstore's employee co-ownership solidifies a new future. By Michael Kripe. Raven Bookstore's next chapter starts with fresh leadership. Danny Kane, co-owner of the Lawrence Bookstore, sold 49% of the company to seven of its employees, effectively splitting ownership with the individuals who help run it every day. The new co-owners are Kelly Barth, Mary Wallmeyer Bracciano, Jack Hawthorne, Nikita Imafidon, Chris Luxem, Hannah Rydell, and Sarah Young, and they are prime examples of the ideals Raven seeks to uphold. These are the people who are at the core of the Raven, Kane says. They're running a lot of the store on the management level, or they've been here for a very, very long time. The eight of us have 70-plus years of experience at The Raven, so it's just a lot of institutional wisdom, and that's the heart of the store right there. It's not a building. It's not a collection of books. It's those people working for 70-plus years cumulatively. Kane says the team is a sound group to lead Raven Bookstore into the future. He was inspired by a Cambridge, Massachusetts bookstore called Porter Square Books, which saw a similar leadership change a few years ago. With the framework for an employee-owned business already established, Kane felt he should follow that model to make both The Raven and Lawrence better. The sale was also done to diminish the notion that it's okay for retail and bookstore workers to be exploited. In retail in general, and also in bookselling, there's this reputation that I don't agree with, that you do it for the love, Kane says. It's like, you're a bookseller, you're never going to make much money. But it's okay because you get free books or you get to meet authors. I didn't like that. It seemed like a way to exploit workers, and I wasn't interested in doing that. Luxem says the co-owner role is already leaving him with a more rewarding experience. Since Kane originally approached the team with the idea to create an employee-owned environment, the Raven crew has worked together to achieve the same outcome seen at Porter Square Books. It was definitely inspiring to know that things can work this way too, Luxem says. It doesn't always have to be the hierarchy of one person on top and then everyone below. You can expand that out and bring in some equity to people. We all want to make sure everyone is treated well here and has equitable experiences and access to everything. Luxem adds that he wouldn't mind seeing other stores in Lawrence follow suit. He says that the budding concept of employee ownership has room to grow, but will only reach its full potential so long as other businesses are paying attention. The Raven's potential butterfly effect remains to be seen, for now. While some effects of the Raven's shift... Such as projected positive trends in profits and worker motivation won't be felt for months or even years, there are some immediate changes to take notice of. Children's section manager Bracchiano can already feel the impact. When I think about the choices that I make in my work and the people who I'm impacting, knowing that I can say, yeah, I'm an owner, it's kind of cool, Bracchiano says. Pushing to make such a drastic structural at The Raven is quite the bold move, though those familiar with Kane's work won't be surprised to hear his stance. He published a book called How to Resist Amazon and Why in 2019, covering how consumers can push against Amazon's dominance and instead support their local small businesses, all while platforming an open letter from Kane to Amazon founder and chairman Jeff Bezos. Effectively selling half of Raven Bookstore to seven employees is a small step toward correcting a mindset instilled in generations of retail workers. These employees can have a future in bookselling thanks to the shift. Kane says five other stores have already reached out, and he hopes there will be more. If it creates a domino effect, that's wonderful. I think nationwide workers should be getting more equity in where they work, Kane says. It should be easier to make a career in this industry. Working retail for a small business doesn't need to be seen as a place where you're not going to make money, or a dead-end job. This team mentality is baked into the Raven's structure, representing a stark change from the usual lone wolf mindset found in many small businesses. Kane says he's confident the Raven will have a place in Lawrence for a long time, thanks to the flexibility the decision provides. I believe a good bookstore can be the heart of a community, Kane says. Having a thriving and active bookstore in a community is really good at so many levels, from providing literary programming, to jobs, to donating books, to helping schools and libraries order books.
0: And now it's time, as always, for Nick's Music Corner.
2: Hello, I'm Nick Spasic, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. Since 2013, Taylor Russell, a producer from Kansas City, Missouri, has been making synthwave music under the aegis of the TCR. Over the last year, Russell has dropped three new albums on his band camp, such as the B-Sides and Rarities collection Valley of the Droids, the Retro Synth Records album Luminous Times, and his latest, an EP entitled After Dark, released in January. Drawing equally from sci-fi soundtracks and 80s electronic dance music, these cyberpunk gems work equally well as vibey background music or when in the foreground for your latest after-dark, chill wave dance party. With 14 releases to dig through, you're sure to find something you like, whether it's Vangelis-style soundscapes or Daft Punk meets Giorgio Moroder club bangers. You can snag all of the TCR releases on Bandcamp at tcr-tcr.bandcamp.com. Here's the title track to After Dark.
0: strap in for just one hell of an interview here we go hey welcome to the streetwise podcast would you introduce yourself to the audience
3: hello uh my name is laura Lawson and i work at kansas public radio in beautiful lawrence kansas
0: how long you've been working in public radio
3: I have been working in public radio a very I'm long time. I'm so sorry, time.
0: everybody. We did like a false start on this where I didn't hit record. So we're just covering the first bases again because I'm a dumb piece of shit. My God. No. So upset I'm going to make
3: this a lot shorter because your eyes were glazing over. I first got a job in radio. Um, well, actually, I did briefly do some stuff with KJHK and Lawrence because I'm a graduate of the University of Kansas. Rock Many, many, many moons ago. <laughs> and uh but it wasn't something i thought i would do and i was in graduate school pursuing a degree in philosophy because i wanted to teach philosophy and i got basically hepped to a public radio job from a work study card and that was on a bulletin board somewhere and i applied for the job and i got the job a lot of things happened i ended up at npr in washington and then um I decided I needed to make a change because my job as an editor in Washington made me be really awful to people. <laughs> I would yell at people all the time. Being an editor you was... a
0: better person because you don't have better relationships with people. It's one of those bus no. stops here things where you're like, I don't mean to be a dick about this, but like, oh, uh, if I don't, who's going <laughs> to?
3: Well, and I I will tell you, here's the story of, of – Actually, like this moment where I was like, I have to stop doing this. And a person came to me, and I was editing for All Things Considered at the time. And she said, I'm not going to make my deadline. And I was just like, Well, why not? She's like, I'm at the doctor's office. I was like, You better be like terminal, or I don't want to hear it. I mean, are you kidding me? This is like a national show. You are leading the show. What do you mean you're not going to be ready? And it turned out she was. And I thought, like terminally ill I could not believe I had said this thing to this person what what who does that who is this person this is horrible you need to stop this okay so I started looking for a different job You ever feel <laughs> different... When, like
0: capitalism gets into your bones and you're like oh no I.
3: <laughs> well that was kind of it and like yeah. at the moment I was just like oh this is awful so you know I apologize profusely Not even at the time. I was just like, this still doesn't solve my problem of how we're going to lead the show. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, I guess I am an Aaron Sorkin gal, you know, like freaking out in front of the mic. I don't know. So anyway, um, I started looking for a different job within the organization. And I found a different one that wasn't quite so pressure. Because I was like editing all things because they're like the show, Mm. right? (laughs) It's me. Yeah, my name on the line nobody knew who I was but I'm the background person and it's it may not be my fault but it's my responsibility like that thing so and that was eating me alive and I was really young to have that job and it was ridiculous so anyway I find this other job and I did that for a while and the show didn't really succeed that well and then I took a job with a different show which I hated hate hate hated and I did a thing I had never done before and I've never done since was just flat quit I didn't have anything lined up I was just like I'm done I'm done here forget it I don't want to deal with you And then uh, I did just various goofy jobs and then um, back in the early days of the internet back before you would just you know like point click there was no LinkedIn there was none of this stuff but there was an online um, solicitation for people to apply for a job for KANU in Lawrence Kansas and I was like I'm gonna get that job I applied that job and I applied and I got the job and the funny part of that was um they had actually closed the search and opened it back up again. I called, and the person who is now my boss said literally, if you can be here in seventy two hours the job is yours and I was like, okay, and I hung up the phone and I went and I bought a car. <laughs> I drove to Lawrence and I got the job.
0: <laughs> love this cross country race in order to. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: yeah, I was in Chicago, so it wasn't like it was that far. But anyway, the point is because it was Chicago and I had always worked in public radio and all these sorts of things, I didn't have a car. I, you know, I did public transit because you can do that in Chicago. Right. And so it was like, oh, wait, I have to go somewhere with no public transit. I got to buy a car. Ah, what am I going to do? So off I went. And, um, yeah, so they had this great trust in me I guess because i had been working for the network for so long they're like oh yeah you'll be able to handle it and everybody like went to a conference somewhere it's like me with the keys uh, okay you people are nuts but that's fine and um, so anyway I got the job and that was in 2001 and uh, I have been here ever since Um, my boyfriend who was living all the way across the nation was working for NPR in Washington And he had gone to KU, and I was like, hey, honey, guess what? (laughs) Guess what? Boyfriend, who I haven't seen in a while. Um, I... Got a job in Lawrence. He's like, well, I kind of like to live in Lawrence. And I was like, okay, here's what's not gonna happen. We're not gonna do the Lawrence like thing where you show up and then like sleep on my floor for the next fifteen years, and I buy you beer every weekend, and we all just sort of wring our hands about oh, Lawrence terrible boyfriend. So he was like, well, I, don't know, I guess we could get married. So yeah, he came out here and we got married, and. Um, he was really excited about like living in Lawrence, but he didn't know what he was going to do. And I was like, well, what did you do before? He's like, I worked at a record store. I was like, you should go see if you can get your job back. (laughs) (laughs) He he was like, oh, yeah, it's a good idea. So I will. So he goes to the place. It's like, hey, guess what? I got my job back. And I was like, okay, that's good. He's like, I think I'm going to book some shows with the replay again, too. I was like, okay, that's great if you're happy i'm happy i'm gonna continue doing this job and i was hosting morning edition at the time so my hours were really janky anyway it doesn't work
0: with rock so, venue stuff that's uh it really doesn't
3: so we barely saw each other for a while and then i want to say it was like i don't know six or seven six or seven months and he came in and he was just like i'm really bummed they're the guys who are running the record store don't want to run the record store anymore and i was like well that that sounds bad for Lawrence. I mean, bad for us. But in general, it sounds bad for Lawrence. You should, you should buy the store. You should see if you could buy them out. You should see, see, can you purchase the stock or whatever? I don't know anything about this. I don't do this. I studied philosophy and now I do radio. I don't know what you, I don't know what you do for this. And he was like, oh, that's a good idea. So he talked to a bunch of people, and we took out a bunch of loans, and we did all this kind of stuff, and we bought the store, and that store is Love Garden Sounds. So,
0: you. You you came to that the exact same way my wife and I came to own the pitch but like I I would much rather have a record store I, I feel <laughs> like
3: you know it's pretty great it's this is the thing that um my husband Kelly Corcoran was pretty much born to do this job he's he loves music of all kinds he's super non-judgmental like he is he is the anti-high-fidelity store wonderful owner. like you you come in and say hi i'm looking for i just called to say i love you by stevie wonder and kelly corcoran is going to say let's do it and while you're here Could I also suggest a couple of other things? If that's the kind of music you like, I think I've got some other things that you might like too. And uh, we have been, we've worked really, really hard to make sure it's a staff that's really um, focused on what do you like let me help you find some more of that because we are not about like shaming you and I think this is largely because both Kelly and I really love music and had gone through the late 80s and early 90s of going to record stores and being hassled constantly about well in my case you're a girl what do you know oh, I was going to show you something that's like really good because you have terrible taste okay I had I learned how to live with that um, but Kelly, also, I think we, we both really recognize that the entry point is really difficult for a lot of people because there's so much stuff out there, and it's even harder now that they're streaming. So um, we really believe in the project of if you would like to hold something physical in your hand and experience a record store and talk with people about music and why you like it, and maybe we as curators can help you find something else that you like, um, that's, that's what we want to do
0: your uh, your bad record store experiences are uh akin to um something like 65 70% of uh guitar world sales are to yeah. women but mm-hmm. like 50% of that is online because no one wants to come in mm-hmm. where the led yep. zeppelin guy is like what why aren't you playing a better song right now
3: <laughs> yeah yeah there's that i will never forget okay one of my many many record store stories i was in a um I was in a little hole-in-the-wall place in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, semi well-known, but anyway, I was kind of uncomfortable in there anyway because at the time very few women were kind of like crate diggers, which is what I absolutely was. And I found uh, an original pressing of No New York that, um, yeah, which <laughs> Ardo Lindsay and all these guys doing like skronk, and I was just like, ah! Ah! I want this! I want this so much! And the guy's like, that's a terrible record. And I was like, I don't even, I, I don't even care. I want it. And he was just like, it's going to cost you 20 bucks, you know, which is just being mean because in 1989. Yeah. To ask for, yeah. And you just told me it was a terrible record. You're just doing this to be a jerk. You know what, buddy? I'll give you 30. <laughs> it's mine. I want it. I found it. <laughs> and I don't care what you think about it. And, um, you know, it's whatever. I, I our entire goal is to never treat somebody like that and and having had those experiences particularly in the world of music I think um, Kelly and I both have really strong opinions about criticism Mm. for either film or music or art or anything the question is what is the criticism for sure who are you serving with this and why are you doing it this way Um, because too many well I've noticed it I've noticed it more obviously in the era of social media that too much of it seems to be how many clicks can I generate can I just get people to pay attention to me by saying something perfectly outrageous and I think what that has led to is this generation of people who don't trust their own artistic taste and that's kind of what we want to help encourage with Love Garden, or if I put a particular movie reviewer, <clears throat> several people uh, on the air, <laughs> they're always. People with a really strong voice who are more like look I know what I think about this and I trust my taste right and maybe maybe it's not your taste and that's fine but they're not necessarily looking over their shoulder constantly like oh am I gonna get enough likes from this they're gonna tell you what they actually think about the film or the painting or the show they went to go see and uh, I think I think that's a very admirable thing about the pitch and and about um, about living in this part of the country. People tend to to um, sort of jump in with both feet to say, I want to know what I like, not I want to parrot what you like. And I really appreciate that about living in this area.
0: So. I, I kind of like it as a move from Los Angeles where my big concern was like, oh, I'm not going to, all my favorite bands won't come through. They do now just as a steady trickle where they're not all on the same night. So like it's uh, curated a little bit by the limitation of it. I'm like, oh, this is... This is better, especially in my 30s when I get tired (laughs) (laughs) earlier.
3: That's true. Not a lot of my favorite bands seem to come through. I mean, I know the last two years have been a complete anomaly. What are you (laughs) going to do? But I did, I saw a show that I really, really, really wanted to see. Mm -hmm. And the artist in question, I think, was having maybe the least fun gig of his life. Oh no. He was so unhappy. He was so unhappy. And I just thought, oh, this is terrible because this means like fewer prog bands are gonna come through here if they ask this guy. He was just not he would he did not have a good time. And I was so upset because I had really okay, fine, it was Stephen Wilson. And <laughs> who is not a guy you think about like having fun right he's right not exactly like happy guy i was trying to run through my
0: head i was like well the Primus show got canceled like
3: (laughs) no this was this was in 20 you know what it was it was right it was right after election day 2016 like within days so it was like really close to that and he was at the folly and he was having such a bad time It was terrible. I mean the music was, was you know, technically flawless. So I like, think what you would expect from Stephen Wilson. What are you gonna do? But I I just really got the sense that this guy was like not having a good time. It's like this guy's never come to Kansas City again. <laughs> oh crap. Oh well. But um Yeah, <laughs> what you gonna do? Um I do I do like that and and again because we're in the middle of the country we have a different sense of like what's doable. Mm-hmm. People come to Chicago. Yeah, let's go to Chicago. <laughs> right. People come to Denver. Yeah, let's go to Denver. <laughs> um, and of course being in Lawrence you get sort of the vitality of younger bands that haven't been signed yet in a lot of cases or uh, more more really small kind of indie rock bands, but obviously we're close enough to Kansas City that if I feel like in the mood to see an arena show, mm-hmm. I can go to an arena show or whatever. I know it's not called this anymore. It's changed name like 15 times. Whatever Sandstone Amphitheater. Is. It's, it's still that. It's still that. It'll okay. never. <laughs> it's Sandstone. Yeah. Because, hey, when I was in high school, my family moved here when I was a junior in high school from Louisville, Kentucky. And um, so I was like conspicuously unenthused about that. But I realized, oh, a lot more like arena bands will come here so i went to like everything i could glom a ticket to i was gonna say how i never had rock any fests are under your belt <laughs> uh, well oddly uh because i grew up in louisville you get the free derby eve jam so the very first concert i ever went to was a free fog hat concert at, at churchill downs <laughs> And I love arena rock. You know, It's you can tell I'm just like not in the, I'm going to give you my indie obscuro cred. No, I love big, dumb classic rock. I love it. First one um, here is
0: Bon Jovi and Molly Hatchett. So like, yeah. Sweet! We're, we're in it to win it.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. But okay, so like 1984, I went to see at Sandstone. Somebody gave me a ticket to Chicago. So, and that was great. And somebody gave me a ticket to Ario Speedwagon, which was amazing. <laughs> He did like a 35-minute version of Roll with the Changes. I was in heaven. It was so great. These are also all <laughs> bands
0: that, in my head, no one's ever bought a ticket for. They're just gifted tickets to them because
3: that's yeah, the way I just, saw them too. Like, yeah, I don't know. it's will like, see
0: Chicago again. Sure, it's free. It's fine.
3: Why not? <laughs> well, yeah, and it's just I'm amazed by all these people who somehow don't have those connections and how they get to shows. Because to me, price was always a huge barrier. Like, I would, I just. I didn't grow up in a family where we had, you know, the money for me to stop on a dime and pay, you know, in the 80s, 1850, to go see Phil Collins or whatever. But, you know, somehow I would invariably like win a ticket or or find a ticket or somebody would have one and and I could go. And I grew to really, really love live music because there's nothing like it. Once they really figure out the acoustics of getting it in your house but it'll never quite be right, right. You know, that I don't care how good your sonos is or you can have the best speakers in the world, it's still not gonna sound the same. You you have to be there. And and that, you know, I'm very I, I'm very ambivalent about like, oh, we're missing out so much on COVID. It'll be back, it's fine. But they're there like a, a an age range of about Four years from, I want to say, like fifteen to nineteen. I want to find these kids and grab them by the shoulders and be like, "You have to go." I mean, you've been conditioned to think you don't have to go, but you have to go. Right? It's going to change your life, you know. So, because I I love audio that much, and and there's just there's just something about it. We um, I think the last really big show we went to, oh, we went we went to see Radiohead at the Sprint Center, and um it was fantastic the just the acoustics were just right for that band mm-hmm. and the people there were thrilled to be there and there was just something about being in that group of people in that space and hearing that audio bouncing off the walls that it's it's just you can't duplicate it and that's it's wonderful so one of the many great things of living living in this area, you get the really big bands, you get the really small bands, but you get the bands, and that's that's fantastic. And of course, in the last few years, you I th- and I think the pitch is really uh, largely um, responsible for it. I just feel like sort of the art house movie scene has gotten so much better. Much sure, much more stuff comes through here. I I started here in, like I said, 1984 is when I moved here. I was too young to drive, so I was sort of held hostage to parents willing to drive you, or a friend of mine could drive, and I remember going to see Stop Making Sense at the Tivoli when it first came out, and it was like, okay, I want to do this as much as I can, not just a music movie, but that was sort of like my gateway into um, smaller films, just like not multiplex films and whatever, and I spent so much time at the Glenwood or at the Tivoli or... Once I moved to Lawrence Liberty Hall, saw saw Alex Cox's Straight to Hell the night it opened in Liberty Hall. It wow. was great. Yeah, I know. Saw, um, saw Blue Velvet at Liberty Hall in its opening run and thought, okay, well, this has changed my life. Hello. You know, what are the things you can do with cinema that I wasn't aware you could do with cinema from going, you know, growing up in the 80s as a, you know, the mid 80s as a teenager mm-hmm. Um, you know, movies were, <laughs> you know, action films and, and you know, romancing the stone, whatever. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just I didn't know you could do more Right. until, you know, I was sort of exposed to the art house theater scene of Kansas City. So.
2: Well,
0: we get the shift that... Each medium has gotten to have in sort of a, a, a different wave over the last two decades, three decades, when you get like the digital and then you don't need mm-hmm. the entire camera crew. One person can film it. You can make that. that. The same sort of sea change happened in video games where in the 80s, one guy would program it and then it was five people and then it was everyone that makes a call of duty. And then we came back around on the other side where one or two people could make a small indie game that actually made you feel feelings. It was like, oh, okay, like giving it back to a very small group of people allows you to do something that is a singular vision and doesn't cost mm-hmm. a billion dollars, so. <laughs>
3: yeah, you know, I, I I, genuinely feel like I missed out on sort of the shift in video games because I that was an area in which I did allow myself to be really intimidated and kind of frozen out sure. of the culture. Um, that... I don't know. We I, Invite me back sometime when you ha- want to have a discussion about fandoms, um, because I think <laughs> on some levels they're fantastic and on some levels they are terrifying and they are exclusionary. And it's sort of like this weird shift has occurred that everybody who felt like an outsider and got involved in a fandom – you know, now they're excluding people from coming into the fandom. It's, it's, it's very complex, and I don't want to bore you with my theories about it. But um, Nathan Raven, yeah, uh,
0: from his book, You Don't Know Me, you, But You Don't Like Me, about the fandoms of Fish and Insane Clown Posse, who he toured with right. for five years, uh, read a selection from that at my wedding. So, yeah, the wife and I are big <laughs> into what fandoms mean about things.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. What you like and, matters. <laughs> it it does and the question is how welcoming are you i mean this sort of goes back to how we feel at Love Garden. the idea is the doors are open and we actually do want you here whereas i don't have a lot of experience with a lot of really rabid fandoms until i was asked to do a story about fan fiction and i found out fast <laughs> wow <laughs> okay that is a thing not to say with this group i thought i was just being friendly but apparently i have grievously insulted somebody oops okay well that you, one it's has just... so
0: many rules that you have to accept just to be there like you certainly broke all of them by just mentioning it its existence <laughs>
3: <laughs> well exactly and um i was asked to do I was asked to look into it because someone said okay Laura, we know you're like very widely read and you 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 go all in on people who sort of create their own community i absolutely do um what can you tell me about fan fiction and i was just like not much and they're like okay well ao 3 has been entered into the nebula awards and we think they're going to win and we want you to do a story and i was just like I will be terrible at doing this story. I will edit it. Okay. <laughs> that, by the way, that is like the most common phrase out of my I would be terrible at that. Let me edit it <laughs> because I'm really, really good at absorbing information, but I'm not so great with the um, interaction with people where you have to sort of like, I don't want to say you sneak your way in, but like in a lot of cases you kind of have to already at the at least be on the fringes of it to do this story in the first place and do it well right. whereas what i'm really good at is amassing a spectacular amount of information looking at the story you've given me and saying oh wait no you left out you left out this thing that's going to be really important that's the thing i'm good at so <laughs> um yeah and as a result so they were like this AO3 thing, we want there to be an AO3 story if it wins the Nebula or the Hugo or whatever it was It one. And it did. And I was like, great, I'm ready to edit this story. And I learned so much. Um, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. And uh, it would absolutely kill me to get involved with it because I just know for a fact <laughs> I would be breaking like every possible rule and then people would yell at me and I would hate that. And I would be embarrassed that i had i had tried to write something for them and it was like so completely wrong and uh you know so that's that's not gonna be for me but you know now now i feel like i have a working knowledge of a lot of different fandoms and maybe not so much you know a little bit in fan fiction i can tell you sort of okay what are the really big communities i know i know which they are and i know who people ride or die ship in each of them and I know you know I, I can I can put all that together um, but I, I think there is a bigger how do I even put this there's a whole cultural shift that has to do with who do you make friends with who do you socialize with and social media changed it all mm-hmm. and I could tell that it was gonna change it all when I got my very first online account I was 14 I had an arpanet account <laughs> that i accessed through a unix terminal and i had to know unix to be able to use i was like talking to professors all over the country it was ridiculous i used a vax yeah how and often do you quote could... the
0: line from jurassic park about it's a unix environment was that you as a kid <laughs> you were, you were LA? <laughs> I,
3: I absolutely was Wonderful. and um <laughs> I was i was hardcore fax user and um <laughs> got on the well it was one of the younger people on the well that was kind of insane but like i could see the possibility there like this is going to change everything and then when they figured out a way to and and i was thinking that just when you were like typing things in in a computer language to have conversations with people once it was like you know i can remember thinking when they get the graphics up and running this is going to be a big deal. I really hope AOL knows what they're doing. CompuServe, you know, like if you guys can figure out the load times and if we can speed it up, oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing. And then of course my older friends, you know, came to me like it's really great that you were so excited about this at the age of 17, Laura, but I'm here to tell you right now there is a killer app and it will exist and it will drive this industry and it is pornography. And I was like, who would do that? Like, Oh, my yeah, poor sweet summer everyone. child. <laughs> like, exactly. I, interacted um, I with was somebody just like last
0: week who has a prodigy email account still. And I was like, how do you, are you the last person there? <laughs> Was that even
3: possible? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Did, shut out the lights when you leave, please. <laughs> unplug the server, but don't unplug it. We're using it for crypto mining. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if CompuServe could come back as a crypto community,
3: sure, why not? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could happen. Could I'm happen. not saying it couldn't. <laughs> but I I am fascinated by sort of the, the swing in sort of like what was cool then versus what is cool now. Like the dynamic has entirely changed sure. that the people that, i was drawn to be friends with when i was a teenager um you know this was largely based on exclusion i was never going to be a jock i was never going to be beautiful i was never going to be rich i was never going to be any of these things so i'm going to hang out with these other people and now but like i don't think people realize now how much in 83 84 85 in that type you know time frame like the the thing you see in the movies about the jocks and winter, they were the popular people. They weren't the evil guys. They were like the popular people, right? <laughs> and I knew they didn't want anything to do with me. But <laughs> you know, I'm just saying that has all changed now because now it's sort of the archetype those archetypes are there, mm-hmm. right? And um I don't know. It's just, it's very, very different now. And I think social media has had a lot to do with it. You can meet a lot more people who are interested in the super focused thing that you are interested in. (laughs) For for better or worse. I was going to say, there are a lot of ways that's great, and there are a lot of ways that's kind of scary. I mean, I'm going to continue broadcasting rather than narrowcasting (laughs) because I think I have something to offer the world Mm -hmm. without. Like, I just don't think radio's going away. No. Like, people are just, you know... Come, come the grid meltdown. You can still use a crystal radio, I guess. I might not be able to broadcast, <laughs> but like the point is, um, I think narrowcasting has caused some problems as we see, you know, people getting in trouble with, you know, streaming and all of these sorts of things. I, I think, I think we do lose something when it's like, look, the only thing I listen to is trap music made by eighteen-year-old, you know, people from. Atlanta. That's all I listen to. It's my only thing. Okay, well, I think we have a lot fewer people with the sort of like breadth and depth. And that's why we're always going to need critics and curators, you know, because uh-huh. there's a lot out there that you've maybe never seen. Because we're all too busy. We're all overworked. We're all exhausted. We're stressed out from the pandemic. Am I really going to invest hours upon hours to learn about this whole new genre of music? And, you you know, doing a deep dive into this other stuff. At a certain point, you're just tired and you want to listen to the thing you know you want to listen to. Okay, that makes the job of the critic even harder. This, but we this is like that
0: shift from when television has three channels and so everyone saw every yeah. show because it was a cultural moment everyone shared to the point now where I'm like, trying desperately to convince a friend <laughs> To get Peacock Plus, because there are a couple of right. shows I think they'll love on it. But then the entirety yeah. of that part of the medium can just go away. Once they've got the reboot of Saved by the Bell, It's you can stop. <laughs>
3: I'll just say I feel I really like pop culture. Mm-hmm. And I think I have a decent enough grasp of it to get by online and stuff. Like I can have conversations <laughs> about it. But your your Twitter wonderful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Always enjoy seeing uh, you there. Oh, thanks. Same with you. And I, there are so many things and I, I, I keep a really tightly curated timeline on Twitter, um, because I believe that the form lends itself really well to people who are good writers, who are good editors and who are comedians because they understand economy of language. (laughs) And that's why they're good at Twitter, right? Because it's short, it's comparatively short. Um, and that means i follow a lot of people who write for magazines and critics and all this sort of thing. these these are my friends these are the people i hang out with this is the people i talk with if i if i'm online and they're always like oh laura you've got to see this entire series and i'm just like i do not have it in me i'm sorry <laughs> like i i work with the news all day long i host a live radio show for 4 hours <laughs> a day and literally when I go home, I want no input. I like go in. I sit down. I might read a book. I play with the dog. I might... I I will I will confess that I do check Twitter all the time because if I'm going to find out about breaking news, I'm going to find out about it there before I'm going to find out about it anywhere else. Yep. And like make the call, do I need to go into work? Do I need to go right now? Do I need to call the BBC? What do I need to do? And um, I'm not saying... I'm not encouraging people to take it as gospel, but for, hey, a thing happened, Twitter is pretty much unbeatable. <laughs> like, maybe take that as your starting point and then go find out what happened. But for, hey, a terrible thing happened, that's where you want to go. They're going to tell you right away. And um, as a result, I, I'm working my way around to a lot of things, but it's just, it's really slow because I have to convince myself that I want to invest the time and energy because mm. in, and in so many cases, it's like, I do not want to commit to this and have them like cancel after a season. Like <laughs> I don't want to get invested in these characters. And then it's like done because we didn't put enough money into it. and Nobody's watching sure. it. And invariably the stuff I like, eh. right. Um, we don't have HBO. We we are we are a cableless family, though we do subscribe to various things. You know, like Sling. I okay, you follow me on Twitter, so you know I like cricket. So we have Sling. We have a Sling thing, so I can watch like cricket from West Indies at two in the morning. Okay, whatever. Um, so we we can access certain things, but we don't subscribe to every service. And we're totally cool with that because Kelly listens to a lot of records and I read a lot of books. And I did find – we actually do have Peacock, which we got so we could watch Eurovision because I'm sure. that kind of nerd. And um, – oh, we have Hulu. I did finally get around to watching Only Murders in the Building. Great show. and I liked it I, I thought it was good and I was glad about it well, but of it's like we did. all it these people podcast who are like, people yeah uh, of our, course our, our folks <laughs> our, our peeps yeah um but like I understand I get the succession is amazing and wonderful and I'm not gonna pay for HBO Max to find out about it I'll wait I'll wait I'll wait till it's done and then I will watch it all in like a month I'll just which okay and now here's another thing. <laughs> This, like, destroys my credibility. I will find out enough about a particular show or a series or anything like that so that I can edit a story about it. Sure. Okay? Because my job as the editor is not to say, oh, no, 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 you're entirely wrong about Logan Roy's motivation here. My job is to be able to say... Oh, this is the Roy family. <laughs> I need to know, like, the real basics about this so I can say, this doesn't match up. This doesn't work. And Can you tighten this here? Can you take this? Does this make a problem if we take this out? Um, so it's my job to basically know just enough about it, uh-huh. right? And so here's my big uh, admission. <laughs> there None of, like, the prestige, you know, golden age of prestige TV shows did I watch in first run. I watched them all at once later. So I, I kind of feel like I was a pioneer on binging because I like never saw The Wire until enough people said, you have to see The Wire. And I went out and I got the DVDs and I watched them all, you know, and I didn't have Netflix giving me grief about, are you sure you want to watch this? Don't you have a life? Do you want to just keep continuing, Be you sad, horrible person who just has nothing better to do but do this? Okay. I feel very guilty when I when I binge watch. Obviously, obviously, I'm not quite over that yet. Anyway, um, so I, the Wire, Mad Men, um, Deadwood, The Sopranos, watched them all all at once. It's Just okay. This is the show I watch now. This is this is, and for like a month that was that was it. That was what we watched. And um, though. We haven't done that so much lately. We've been on a, on a real jag about documentaries. So we've been watching a lot of documentaries, uh, streaming them, which are available kind of all over the place. So, so much the better, um, you know? And uh, the Lawrence Public Library has Canopy, which has like Love a Canopy. staggering number. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, we have that. And, now um, oh, we got rid of Tubi after it got bought. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, we're we're weird like that. I was oh, so excited to ask in. you how to
0: make journalism a, a sustainable career emotionally, because I, I worry about my burnout. But it sounds like you're doing the exact same thing I'm doing. So it's pretty yeah. okay. <laughs> Scroll on <laughs> well, Twitter, listen a... to records, try to read a book, uh, unless news happens and then you don't have a life anymore.
3: <laughs> well, I think it's also, I, I don't know your academic background, but I did not intend to do journalism and (laughs) my interests in the world you know I, i i work at the university of kansas i work at kansas public radio this is a function of the university of kansas and people show up all the time like hey will you teach me how to do Well, now they ask if I'll teach them how to do podcasting because essentially radio is podcasting just long, longer. And um, I say, of course, yes. And they're like, oh, should I take some journalism courses? I was like, you should study the thing that really inspires you and that you really love. And in retrospect, I do not know how people who work in news have managed to get through the last seven or eight years Without having studied philosophy, because that is (laughs) my area is like super niche and ridiculous. Who cares? You know, but my my area of focus was deontology, which is studying the moral philosophy of duty. What is what what are we obligated to do? And that is the thing that I studied academically and had intended to teach other people. And having a background in philosophy has been an absolute core for all of this, because when things really feel like they're spiraling out of control, I, you know, I sort of mentally break things down into, you know, questions of moral philosophy, which, you know, the news writ large can be. And I I can sort of see it through that filter. And I I think we obviously... I think we need more philosophers in the world, or at least people who are aware that it exists. Sure. And let's talk about ethics. You know, my my area is duty and ethics, and and so when things happen in the news, you know, it is my job to relay them mm-hmm. uh, without judgment, and I can do that because I studied philosophy for a really long time and was going to do it professionally. Thank God I didn't, because <laughs> you know the the academy's in a in a spot right now, and I'm not. I don't know how they get out of it, but um, we get the, to the deal reality a little
0: more of uh, having to make a choice there on what we want to say about things, and the responsibility that comes with that duty uh, is something that has to be discussed once a month about like where does this go and what does that say and who does it benefit. So like sometimes I wish it was narrower, sometimes I wish it was wider.
3: <laughs> well, i i do I do think those questions are even more present as as the news environment has shrunk. Right. And and the way in which news is delivered. There's just there's no way to put the genie back in the bottle right. about <laughs> you know about what news costs money and i you know, terrible decisions were made on the front end of all of this. Like about 1993 they made some decisions that really screwed things up. And you know why I I think there are a lot of headline writers in the world who have a lot to answer for in the afterlife. (laughs) Um, I saw one just the other day that I just thought, that is, you have completely misrepresented what has gone on, and I know you did it for clicks, and I'm so mad at you. There was one this morning. I actually tweeted about it. It was a headline that was like... (laughs) There are many types of alcohol. Let us explain them to you. And I was just like, what? Because no one's ever heard of alcohol. It was like, I don't know if it was like the Sun-Times, but it was in Chicago. It was like some Chicago paper, honestly, God had a headline that's just like, let us tell you about this new invention called alcohol. You may enjoy it. And I was like, in Chicago. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> It was just nuts. Okay, that was just.
0: You're talking to Malort people. You know they've invented alcohols that <laughs> that aren't even. If consumable. you're willing to
3: drink Malort, you are in for the long haul. Is all I got to say. Because I lived much in Chicago.
0: <laughs> <haul>.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying you are like committed. You have committed that you want to drink so bad you're going to have Jepson's Malort. Okay. <laughs> Good for you. I admire. I admire your commitment. <laughs> It's not for me, but I don't actually know who it's for. But And I really like Fernet Branca, so there. <laughs>
0: if, if they can't get you, then yes, it's just a mouth prank for people like me and Liz Cook. It's totally fine. You know, uh, b- before I hopped on tonight, I was uh, checking out the pitch site and the archives, and it turns out the only time we've mentioned Kelly – Uh, was a a 2010 article where he put together a mixtape for us. The embedded mixtape is no longer there. It just talks about how cool of a mixtape it is. (laughs) <laughs> uh in an in an article we may written have by nick spacek uh so oh okay we, uh, okay well we in the last six months brought back the uh weekly playlist column uh a thing that i uh-huh. did not know until tonight we'd done a decade ago so uh... can i get both of you to contribute playlists in the near future I feel like we've really got to catch up a decade later
3: <laughs> um you should ask Kelly okay. because he runs a business and he's like super busy all the time. Me, yeah. <laughs> I, only do news broadcasts. Not, I got I got none you of got the time. time. No. Uh, um as long as it Okay, I will tell you I will tell you this. I feel that I have and I'm sure everybody believes this, but I think I really do. I have a very broad range of interests um when it comes to music. Which <laughs> And, and I, I am still listening to some new music, but in general, uh, newer music is not, not for me. Um, I've just, I've learned that about myself. It just, I'm really old and it doesn't <laughs> it just doesn't speak to me. Well, that that Olivia girl? She's got her driver's license. The guy's not paying attention to her. She's driving past this house. Okay, good for you. Be careful out there. Gas is expensive. Take care. You know, that's like, <laughs> that's like all I got. And... You know, I can admire. I can admire the (laughs) schutzba of Taylor Swift. Yeah, Taylor's version. Okay, good for you. I'm glad you're successful enough that you can pull this off. But in the meantime, there are plenty of like really great people I'm never going to hear because it can't be marketed. And my, I, I guess that's what my problem with current popular music is it all feels market tested to me it mm. all feels you know but and that's just my take on it
0: you uh, need to listen to more atlanta be, trap get on that sound class. clearly clearly
3: clearly, you just, clearly. You missed your um <laughs> my my th- i love a lot of different kinds of music i love jazz i love funk i love rock i love indie rock i do feel like feist has a lot to answer for <laughs> The genre feist spawned. <laughs> you got are for lady. Anyway, um... that, that
0: is the person who I, who I have seen have their worst concert night. Uh, so yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no, I I Somehow respect wound up that as the it takes opener for Muse, and it will surprise me <laughs> that the Muse audience did not want to sing along to one, two, three, four. <laughs>
3: You know, um, (laughs) no, I'm just, I'm trying, like, (laughs) I want you to picture like in the TV version of the most recent TV version of Sherlock where he's got like stuff like raging through his head. I'm the one like Muse. Ah, yes. Kate Hudson's, Kate Hudson's husband. That's, that's who Muse is. Oh, wait, they're the one with that one song I really liked. (laughs) the one about the end of the world um that's
0: like three apocalypse in their full album apocalypse yes please
3: apocalypse apocalypse please that's it that's it okay thanks for <laughs> like, letting I me really in like your mind time.
0: palace for a second really appreciate it <laughs>
3: uh, well i'm just saying like i there's so much material out there that now it's like i have like these basic facts and i might get more than that but the things that i really love are things that really fill up the space, your oral space. I, I I just like big. So obviously, I really like Prague. I really like some classical. I just I want it to be really big. So that Muse song, Apocalypse, please, really works for me because it's huge, right? It's just you cannot ignore it. I was going to say you're I... de- describing
0: what that band lives to be, uh like I want. But I don't in... think it works all the time for them. Okay. But that
3: song really works, and um I just I like it big. I like it loud. I like it aggressive. I am also. I have synesthesia that is uh, color audio. Right. Okay. So, I love it. I love it. Uh-huh. I, I'm seeing things and I'm hearing things and it's huge and that's what I really love. So, uh, the other thing I really love is when it sounds. You know, I was about to say when it sounds joyful, but I mostly like like really depressing music. <laughs> but. Um, it, it has to sound authentic to me. It has to sound like somebody got some joy out of making it. Gotcha. So I really love garage rock. I, you know, from the, not just the stuff on the Nuggets set, but, you know, stuff from that era, like the late fifties, early sixties, and that, that, and that translates to jazz as well. So I like a lot of stuff, but you're not going to see a lot, you know, from the last five years, probably on any list that I make from you. Cause I just, I'm not familiar enough with it and I mean, there's just there's so much out there. I'm still, you know, there's still great prog albums I haven't heard yet, and that yet is not going to stop me from listening to more King Crimson on the way <laughs> home, because <Can> you... <laughs> because <laughs> in the court of the crimson king, in the court of the crimson king is great. I was driving Kelly nuts the other day because he's playing some video game. We have like a whole room that's just like the video game room. Yeah, <laughs> and, and um which people are just like, this is why you guys didn't have kids. It's like, so you could specialize these rooms, you know, and just, you know, do nothing but play games or listen to CDs or vinyl or whatever. And yes, that's how our house is set up. So I'm in the book reading room and Kelly's in the video game playing room. And there's, it's, it's some sort of war arrangement. I don't even know what it's called. Anyway, um, because I know so little about these games um it's not Call of Duty. Uh, and it's not it's not like a first person shooter. He likes he likes ones that are like a puzzle. Okay. Or like that involve logic leaps and construction of worlds. Sure. He was really into like this I forget what it was called like Failsafe Fallout something like that. he was like really into that for a while. Anyway, so now he's playing this other one it's like a war thing. And there's this haunting melody that floats through. Ah. <laughs> and I was just like, Are you listening to King Crimson? Did they pay King Crimson for this? I hope they did. And Kelly's like, What are you even talking about? And it turns out I proved to him because this is our marriage, me dragging out a bunch of records, going, Listen to that. That is the exact same chord progression as this 12 seconds in this obscure King Crimson record. And he's just like, Yes, yes, you are correct. Do you feel better? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I feel much better now. <laughs> i've gotten that off my chest no
0: greater feeling in the world than being technically correct the best kind of correct as we all know
3: well yeah so anyway (laughs) uh he he may have time yes i would definitely ask him and i will i will happily make you playlist but a lot of it you just got to be aware like there's going to be a lot of late 50s like mingus (laughs)
0: I'm, I'm fully in for it. Can't wait for the <laughs> journey you're going to prep for me. Can you tell the listeners where they can find you online and listen to your work?
3: Um, you can always listen to Kansas Public Radio at kansaspublicradio.org. We stream. We have two streams that are always running. We simulcast Morning Edition and All Things Considered. Uh, and our kpr2 stream also has the bbc world service and bbc programming so that's our more news and information so at kansaspublicradio.org you can always hear me and check out we have vast archives you can hear some of the stories we have put together but on uh, i strongly encourage you to if you have not experienced public radio before um, give it a try i i think you'll like it we work really hard to to just Give you the information, and and you know, let you figure it out from there. That's that's our goal. Just tell you the truth. That's as much as you can do. Really.
0: Thank you so much for your time. I will see you on the twitters. Uh, can't wait to have you back to talk about synesthesia and uh, DC in that awesome. period. And uh, clearly, we have a lot to get through. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm sorry. I know I babbled on and on, but I am no, this is the start I'm always of happy beautiful to be a <laughs> guest. Anytime you're just like, ah, oh, we have no topic. We have no idea. Where's Laura? Laura can talk about anything with 10 minutes to prep. Um,
0: we didn't even get to Betty Davis tonight. So <laughs> I was going to say,
3: and please, I'm begging you when you when we're done here, listen to They Say I'm Different tonight. It'll. It's. It will edify you. It will edify you. I
0: will do that right (laughs) now. Have yourself a wonderful evening. Get home safe.
3: Thanks so much. Thanks for the invitation. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
0: And that was the Streetwise podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Thank you for always tuning in. Um, Really appreciate everything that y'all have been saying on social media lately. Uh, It's been a very supportive time. Everyone's uh, had really great things to say about our latest issue, which I've appreciated. We are... Heading into deadline on our next one, uh, a lot of great stories we cannot wait to share with you. Uh, check out the great work that people are doing at ThePitchKC.com each and every day of the week. Um, thank you for listening to this show. Be cool to each other out there. Take care of yourselves during the winter. Um, pitch in and we'll make it through. bye, 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 bye. bye.